0: I'm the biggest believer now in, in boarding school. I think it's the absolute best preparation for college that there is. They're away from home, but they're not on their own. They go from having two parents or one parent or four parents, whatever their dynamic is, to having 40 parents. And that's just the faculty. That's just, that's just the faculty. and then But everybody on that campus is a big family.
1: This is the Fred Opie Show, where we share lacrosse stories and life lessons from coaches, players, parents, and experts. I'm your host, Fred Opie, a former Syracuse University and U.S. National Team player. Today on the Fred Opie Show, we speak with Ed Woodson, who has decades of experience working at independent schools, both boarding schools and day schools. We talk about what's the best preparation for your child if he's going off to college. In the second half of the show, we have the opportunity to hear from Ed's son, Chaz Woodson, a really interesting conversation from father and then from the son. Ed is a person who helped me negotiate understanding why would somebody take their child out of a public school system in a good school district and put their child in boarding school.
0: My wife and I, Couldn't understand why anybody would send their kid away to school. I mean, what are they trying to get rid? It's like rich people, uh, yuppies, or whatever, trying to get rid of their kids. Or that was kind of our impression. Now, and I'd gone to school with a lot of kids that went to boarding school, but I still had no idea. And I and I coached against a lot of boardings. We wound up. I took a job at the Blue Ridge School. It was a head football coaching uh, um, opportunity. As a matter of fact, I wasn't looking for a job. Uh, uh, A few years earlier than that, I had been kind of ready to leave Norfolk Academy and um, had talked with the folks at Blue Ridge and interviewed, and I wound up staying at N.A., and uh, they called me and uh, asked me, to come, you know, come interview and look at their football coaching position. And they had been so kind and so nice to me, uh, uh, three years earlier that I felt obligated to just go and listen to them. And they kind of made an offer we couldn't refuse. And so we off, we went to boarding school.
1: Who were the boys then?
0: Um. Chaz was about to go into his senior year, and Bryce was going to sixth grade. Chaz, he, he played on varsity lacrosse for, since eighth grade, and like played, he was all-state in varsity basketball. Basketball was his first love. Norfolk Academy is a day school, and there were a lot of reasons for him to stay. We said, Chaz, you're coming with us. And we didn't drag him kicking and screaming. We came away from our Blue Ridge experience and we were there for three years, seeing guys' lives just turned around and changed. And not all, not all just from bad to good, but guys just maturing and growing. We came away believers. Uh, I'm the biggest believer now in, in boarding school. I think it's the absolute best preparation for college that there is. They're away from home, but they're not on their own. They go from having two parents or one parent or four parents, whatever their dynamic is, to having forty parents, and that's just the faculty. That's just that's just the faculty. And then, but everybody on that campus is a big family. The maintenance people, the 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 cafeteria people, the uh, all the secretaries. Everybody is invested in each and every one of those kids on on campus and everybody knows each kid and every faculty member knows the kids well i mean we met every wednesday morning the guys that would have late breakfast and every wednesday morning we'd go over every one of our 170 kids say what they're doing and, and what they're not doing and guys got a chance to really grow they're their time is really super programmed. They do have free time, but that's programmed free time where they get to decide what they're going to do. But, you know, that's an hour or two a day outside of that time. You know, they're doing something. And they consequently, they one of the biggest, greatest things, I think, about boarding school is they learn... Time management in, in a way that that I and a lot of other of my day school peers didn't come didn't bring to college with us when I went to college, you know. But these these uh, boarding school kids, you know, they were like at home with it because they'd done it for a year or two or three or four.
1: Athletically, what is the difference between sending your kid to a public school, day school, or boarding school?
0: At the schools where I've been, my, my son Bryce went to the Salisbury School also, there are different levels of emphasis on sports depending on the school, whether it's a day school or, or a boarding school. There's no mistaking that these are student-athletes with the student part first. That gets lost in some public school situations, not all. It's really a numbers thing. I mean the ratio of faculty to student. In the day schools, average class size was about 17 or 18. Very large, my largest classes had 20 kids in them. Not so in public school. In boarding school, our average class size was about nine or ten kids. It makes a big difference. You know, personally, I think that the ideal student teacher ratio is 12 to 1 because three master teachers that I know of had 12 to 1 ratios Pythagoras, Socrates, and Jesus. All three had 12, 12 students. Kind of hard to beat that. These folks take their athletics very seriously. Yes. They are churning out kids that go to the best colleges in the country. They're sending their athletes out to play in these schools and they're preparing their athletes to study and play in those situations. And when Bryce was at Salisbury, he went on college visits, not by himself, but he'd go on college visits that were scheduled by the college counselor At Salisbury, who at that time happened to be the head lacrosse coach and the head football coach. (laughs) You do wear a lot of hats. Bobby Wynn was sending five and six and seven guys to Syracuse. And at the same weekend, he'd have five guys going to Harvard. And that same weekend, he'd have four guys going all the way down to Hofstra. Bryce Wynn on three or four visits and bryce wanted he said dad i want to go somewhere with big time football and big time basketball he went to ohio state it just so happened that the year he went there they were in the championship for for both both of those sports he had a a great four years there he was well prepared for it because at uh, salisbury he was a captain on the a uh, football team and a captain on the lacrosse team, and uh, and at Ohio State he was a captain on the lacrosse team.
1: Now, I've heard, living here in New England, over the last six, seven months, there have been a number of scandals of sexual abuse that has happened on some of these prep school campuses around here. Can I protect my kid at a school?
0: Those things are going to happen everywhere, anywhere, from my experience. Yeah. I would wager that those things happen at a much lower rate on these boarding school campuses than they happen in the general
1: population. When it comes to price tag, you gave me some advice. Do you remember what you told me? What would you say to parents when they see the sticker on the school,
0: they get sticker shock? What do you say? Folks do get sticker shock when they see that. That's only a number and it's a number that sort of represents what the school feels like their education is worth even having said that they they feel like their education is worth a little more than that because they pride themselves on on holding that price down by various means that's what development offices do however what these admissions offices are looking for They're looking for families that are going to bring something to their school community that that will enhance their school community. What you bring as a family might have to do with athletic skills or prowess, might have to do with academic excellence. The most important thing they're looking for is character. They want someone who is not only going to grow and shine, but is going to help others have a good experience too. Most, if not all, of these schools are looking uh, to be more diverse. They're, they're not all very well versed in how to go about that. Some of them kind of fumble, stumble their way through to diversity. I haven't run across schools that are eschewing diversity, that are saying they want to be Uh, Exclusive. I had heard of lacrosse. I had heard of it because I read the Jim Thorpe story and did a book report on it in grade school. Other than that, I I had no idea about lacrosse, even though it was going on right out on Long Island. I'd visit cousins on Long Island. I had no idea about lacrosse. And my freshman year in college, my football teammates talked me into going out.
1: Where'd you go to college
0: middlebury college
1: what year were you, what was your freshman year
0: 1972 so your, your roommates talked you into playing uh my teammates did yeah was it a hard
1: sell for you i
0: i went out to the first practice we had in in the field house there and this guy his name is remsen paul and he was a little attackman playing lacrosse and they gave me a big pole and told me to play defense. You know, I was a linebacker, and I had a mesh on my head.
1: Guys would say, Well, look what they gave you. So you didn't have a traditional stick. You had you had a plastic head. I had a plastic head. He, 1972. The Brian, mesh was brand new. Brian or STF?
0: Brian. So I'm playing defense this on this guy, and he winds up and he takes an underhand shot, and the ball hit me in the stomach oh, and bounced back into his stick and his <laughs> stick hit me in the stomach and his stick which was a wooden shaft snapped and broke his stick broke right there and his eyes got really big and I said I think I like this game.
1: Your six pack broke the stick. Yeah. <laughs> and, and was- Just his
0: expression made me say hey I want to play this game. Freshman year. Okay. Truth be told, I didn't make it through the season. I did not. I was not there for the last three games of the season. I got some midterm grades that uh, spring of my freshman year that were not the best. And I went to the coach and told him I needed to buckle down. And, and really, I, I was sincere. That was my thinking then. Many years later, with the wisdom of age and teaching coaching experience and, and hindsight, I looked back on it and thought, you know, uh, probably part of it was because I'd never sat on the bench before. That was a new experience for me. I mean, I belonged on the bench because I did not have stick skills. I was a better athlete than these guys but they're playing. But they were playing because they could throw and catch. How long did it take for you to develop the, the necessary skills? Probably about nine years, because I didn't play after that. My sophomore year, when spring came around, I was rehabbing my knees from football season. And my junior year, I got involved uh, in acting and directing. Of my junior year, as a matter of fact, my senior year. In college, I didn't even play football wow. because I wanted to direct the spring production, which I did. I did I directed the River Niger my senior year in college. Uh, and in my junior year, I mean, sorry, my, the fall of my senior year, I acted and assistant directed in preparation for that. So I didn't play football. My senior year.
1: So when did you get reintroduced
0: to lacrosse? I was out in California, Air National Guard, having taken me out there. I got off, got off of active duty in 1980. Started working at Juvenile Hall as a as a counselor, and uh, which was kind of in line with what I'd done uh, in in Vermont and. Uh, And one of the guys I was uh, working with said something about lacrosse, about going to lacrosse practice. They play lacrosse out here, and we got to talking, and and he invited me out, and uh, I played for the Sacramento Lacrosse Club, I guess for four years. All Americans from the Air Force Academy, the Naval Academy, all on this Sacramento team, and that's where I learned to play. But where I really learned the game was when I wound up at Norfolk Academy, Uh, I wound up there while I was looking for a football coaching job. Uh, You know, I had been coaching football in California. I, in my interview process, at that particular time, lacrosse coaches were at a premium, even at Norfolk Academy. They needed... A lacrosse coach, and that's what they assigned me to do. And I coached lacrosse for 14 years there under a Hall of Fame player and coach, Tom Duquette, who is in the lacrosse world. He's legendary, and he he ought to be. Uh, He's one of two people that I worked with at that school that I call geniuses. In what they do, he's, the, he's a genius math teacher, and I think he's a genius lacrosse coach. The other genius is Albert Watson, who teaches dance there. When you coach in a at a school with Tom Duquette, you learn a lot of lacrosse, a lot of good lacrosse. You get the opportunity to coach a lot of guys. Even though I coached middle school lacrosse, uh, he get a chance to coach a lot of guys that go on to be All-Americans. Um, I think I, I coached over 50 guys that went on to be high school and college All-Americans.
1: I heard some nuggets that I hadn't heard before. <laughs> so thank, thank you for sharing.
0: So well, much. thanks thanks so much for giving me an opportunity because it, it's good to share your stories.
1: The show will be right back. For related content on negotiating the world of school and sports, visit our website at fredopi.com. Check out our podcast archive and review the show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. Enjoy this and other similar podcast in our podcast archive. We're going to take a listen to two previous interviews done with people who work at independent schools. First, John Bayreuther, who works at the Cardigan Mountain School in New Hampshire. Here's a clip
2: that are shooting for the stars that are looking for ways to really differentiate their kids and that's where we pick up sort of the the student athlete the kid who you know is a you know relatively well skilled whether that's a hockey player lacrosse player basketball player but you know they have that sort of that dream of being a college student athlete we you know do a really nice job with those guys one is because being a boarding school living on your own that just that 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 creates a dynamic of growth that only happens when you leave your home. For most people that's at 18 when they go to college, you know, the kids that come to Cardigan are doing that at 12, 13 years old. And that starts this growth dynamic that sort of forever changes the kid because it's all of a sudden their life is is between them and the environment. You don't have the parents sort of in between. So kids are going to have to build relationships with their teachers, with their roommates. And when they have a tough day, you know, they don't necessarily have their parents to, to help them out. They have to learn how to trust other people to do that. And, um, you know, we're big academically. You know, we're just really big on organization. Um, I think we understand boys and understand that even the brightest students, boys, need need that organizational support, very discussion-based. I think there's a lot of um, kids out there in society that don't have a lot of outward confidence, you know, low self-esteem. It sort of manifests itself in them being really quiet and shy. And I think we because there are no girls here, kids boys tend to feel a little bit more comfortable. Because you have a, um, a you know community kind of based on kindness, that makes kids feel comfortable. And all of a sudden, you know, a kid who sat in the back of his classroom, you know, a year before, now he's you know in the mix. He's he's making two or three comments every day in class. He's you know he's writing you know analytical you know papers about himself and about subject matter, and maybe delivering speeches and things like that. And then we have a really positive you know all our kids are. Looking to go to secondary, you know, schools, mostly boarding schools, and really make something of their lives. They have all these dreams of going to prep schools and going to colleges and being athletes. So there's a collective vision that I think is really special. It's really it's positive peer pressure. You know, everybody here, you know, is kind of dialed in to being a good person and doing the right thing and being a good student.
1: Head of admissions at the Belmont Hill School in the metropolitan Boston area. This is Steve Carr, and a
3: clip from the interview I did with him. Uh, mind body spirit thinking that you exercise your mind in one area your body and your spirit in other areas We have very different levels of, of kids very different level of teams. I think it's great You know, we're a seventh grade through 12th grade school, but in pretty much every sport We have a seventh grade team. We have an eighth grade team. We have a ninth grade team We have a JV team and we have a varsity team Sometimes we even have two we have a ninth grade a versus and a ninth grade B. Part of it for us is just building relationships with your peers building meaningful relationships with your coaches who are also your teachers I think we're the only ISL school, actually, that can say every varsity coach at Belmont Hill right, is a teacher first and a coach second. Yeah. We don't have outside coaches. We don't have any hired guns. And I think that's great. And for the boys, it's great. You get to see your English teacher right, mm-hmm. uh, in his sweatpants with a whistle. <laughs> and at the same time, your English teacher knows what's going on on the, on the fields. And so it's great. After a game, they say, hey, you know, you played great. At the same time, the, the, the coaches know the academic life of the school. So when it's test time, exam time, and, and they know when to back off and when to push and pull a little bit, it, it brings our, our school together. To hear
1: these interviews in their entirety, go to our podcast archive, which you can find at fredopi.com and look for the link to the podcast. And now we turn to the interview that we did with Chad Woodson, Ed Woodson's oldest son.
4: I've played now nine professional seasons, eight in the MLL, one with the LXM Tour.
1: What do you got to do in the classroom to get prepared to excel at a place like Brown University?
4: A lot of things that have to work. A lot of things that have to be in the right place at the right time for you to end up in a place like this. I was very fortunate that the coaches at Brown University took a chance on me, and I lost out on a lot of recruiting opportunities because either guys couldn't get me and didn't want to take the chance. Or or they had better guys that they could get in earlier or not necessarily better guys but other really good players that they could get in earlier because there were no questions about their grades. As my dad always told me, you know, you can't turn it on and off. You can't flip the switch. You You can't be great on the field and not be great in the classroom because it's not going to get you anywhere. You have to take care of your books. It's, it's, It's a must. No matter where you're trying to go.
1: Was it as hard as you thought it was going to be?
4: I was well prepared. I was well prepared, and I had a plan when I came in here. It's about discipline. Um, And I think that's the one thing that athletes have in their favor is that you have to be disciplined to be a high-level athlete. Um, And then on top of that, you have to know how to manage your time. And I think that's where a lot of people fall short in terms of balancing that academic and athletic career is that they, they don't manage their time well. There's a lot of a lot of things to get into when you're in college, and uh, if you don't know how to balance that, if you don't know how to handle it, it can be a long road.
1: You've been playing almost 10 years post-college. What do you do to keep yourself in shape to be able to play? Because I see a lot of guys who do not even resemble what they look like in college.
4: Well, I'll I tell you what, that's, um, I'm hitting that point. In the last Half a year i have like realized that I'm older. Like it actually hit me. I can, How old older you now 31. Yeah. But I can I, I feel like very feel the difference between my body now as an athlete and what it was three years ago. Very interesting feeling. Training to play at the level that I want to play at, it takes a lot to stay in shape. So I do a lot of a lot of body weight, a lot of uh you call it stabilizing exercises that type of thing. I do hit the weight rooms, but it's mostly about maintaining at this point. For the first five, six, seven years of my career coming out, it was about still, you know, trying to stay fast, trying to get stronger, get bigger. Because as an as a lacrosse player, it's different. You know, you're, you're not. Uh, some of us, a very few of us, are literally paid to be lacrosse players mm-hmm. full time, every day, all day. Um, the rest of us you know we've got other things on our plate so trying to balance that with working out hard enough to compete at a professional level is not always the easiest um, but it, it can be done it can be done but the biggest thing is again going back to that discipline factor.
1: about how you eat oh you don't want to go there <laughs> my,
4: my eating habits are atrocious I've got to change them and I, I have started to change them And one of the biggest things i've done for myself is i got a neutral mode. i'm doing a lot of juicing right now and drinking juice so i'm throwing all my veggies in there okay and i'm uh, trying to get them that way i gotta do them somehow
1: that's gonna be the most revolutionary change in yeah, your diet the biggest
4: change in my diet is adding vegetables you guys might not know that about me eat your veggies i'm telling you trust me look that's an, that's another reason I, I can feel the difference because i know i haven't eaten the way i needed to eat it really is a big thing so the nutrition part
1: the idea of living off of lacrosse full time, is it more of a reality for more people or is it a pipe dream?
4: It's becoming more of a reality. It is becoming more and more of a reality. I think that's why at the professional level at the MLL of play is getting higher because guys have a stick in their hand all the time, they're, whether they're coaching teams or in camps, whatever it is. Guys are playing indoor and playing MLL. It's becoming a reality. It's still not—it's not paying that much except for top guys.
1: Guestimate, what do you think the top guys are making per year?
4: When I was signed with Brian and that type of deal, like, that, that check from them was a significant, it wasn't the majority, but it was a significant part of my yearly paycheck. For most guys, I would say, yeah. Again, that's endorsements, that's playing, that's everything. Mm-hmm. I think guys that are just playing, if they're playing in both leagues, they're probably topping out maybe 30. They've got to be top guys. Yeah. The MLL top salary isn't that high.
1: You're saying both leagues, if you're topping out, yeah. you're maybe making 30. Yeah. Top of the game.
4: And, and that just playing. you not throwing some endorsements and that type of stuff. And, and you throw in your camps and all that. There but, are a lot of guys that are making just on club teams and that type of deal that are making six figures. There are some people robbing people out here. Don't get robbed. (laughs) It's not everybody, and there are a lot of people very well, when I say very well, I'm talking about running very um, quality programs. Very quality club programs and uh, training programs, whatever it is. But there are a lot of people that aren't. A lot of high school athletes and parents are jumping on the bandwagon for these club teams thinking it's their way to college. If you're jumping on those and going to these tournaments and you're not good, you're going to get overlooked, and you're going to get passed by, and your opportunity may never come back again. You may get written off. And the other thing with it is, everybody thinks they're getting a scholarship, and there aren't that many scholarships. It's like 12 and a half or something per team. You're not getting a full scholarship. You're, looking to come, you're going to come to a place like Brown University that doesn't even offer scholarships. It's $40,000 a year. There are better ways to make your... You're better off doing private lessons with him if, if he really knows what he's doing and can really develop you as a player than just going out and playing.
1: Can you look at a a club team and say these are the hallmarks of a good program? Are there, are there, are there some things that stick out of the best club teams? It
4: does differ area to area. One, you can look at the coaches that are involved, what they've accomplished in the game. doesn't necessarily mean they have to be MLL players. doesn't mean they have to be Division I players. Have they excelled personally in the game? Another thing you can look at is the schools that the kids in the program are going to. And you can look at the discipline with which they play. There are a a lot of club teams where you see guys go out and they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff, but they can't do any of the fundamentals. And what happens is they may win those tournaments and they go out there and they look good, and yada, yada, yada. But a lot of those kids don't make it. They don't, they don't excel at the next level because they haven't been taught the basics. They haven't been taught how to play the game. You can have a lot of raw talent and not know how to play the game. And when you get to college, all your flaws get exposed. That's everybody. It doesn't matter. You can be a very good player. And when you get to college, all your flaws are exposed.
1: What was the biggest transition from you from high school to college?
4: The speed of the game. I played for a very good coach, so I think I understood the game fairly well. But you're still competing against guys that have been doing it for a while. So you get up there and they have a little more savvy. And that happens level to level, it doesn't matter. Even when I got to the MLL, the game got faster and the guys that were playing it had more savvy. They understood the game better and they, you know, they could play.
1: How much is your wisdom and IQ in the game helping you when you go against, you know, some of these younger kids? The
4: thing is, if you know how to play the game, then you don't have to rely completely on all of your physical ability. And it took me a while to get that. I understood it conceptually, but now that I'm not quite as fast, I'm not quite as quick, now, you know, in the last few years, and I think that's why I had... um, 2012 was my best season. And that was the year after I I took off and I was doing LXM. And I actually, I didn't even intend to come back to MLM. But I think it was my best season statistically because I just understood the game more. And I, I didn't rely on my physical health. So I was still quick. I was still shaking guys. But my approach was so much different. the game had slowed down for me so much more at that point.
1: What does that mean when people say, the game's slow, the ball looks twice as big, yeah. goalie say, what does that mean?
4: For me, I now knew where the ball needed to be, when it needed to be there. And I had no problem just putting it there. And I had no problem waiting, you know, for the, you know, people always talk about letting the game come to you. And it's tough, especially when you're a, a Dodger. You're a guy that's used to having the ball on your stick. But sometimes if you just sit back, relax and your opportunities come and you take them at the right time instead of trying to force them and forcing opportunities is a lot different than forcing plays to me if that makes sense you don't always have to create your own opportunities if you're in the right place at the right time you know where to be those opportunities present themselves and then you can take advantage of them like that forced plays are you know you see a pass and you're trying to make it and it happens or it doesn't happen you're trying to feed the crease but forced opportunities you're trying to make something that is not there or you're trying to make a play that is not the right play at that time. Not because you can't make it because it's more because you didn't know you shouldn't have been making that play at that
1: time. That's a wrap for this show. Thanks for listening. To hear more content like it, go to FredOpie.com. This show could have been brought to you by your company. If you have questions about advertising and sponsoring this show, contact us at F D O P I E at gmail.com. That's F D O P I E at gmail.com. If you're interested as an audio mixer or in sales and marketing, send us a note with the subject header Fred is hiring f-d-o-p-i-e at gmail.com Start with a gift. Learn how to understand your gift, monetize it, and serve others with it. I wrote it for the younger version of me who I describe as having sports on the brain and lots of pain. It'll be available online at Fredopie.com.